The Crossing by Johnny Clegg. Of course, he has crossed 44 years ago. Bantubiko. Well, he did not cross. They made him cross. Murdered yesterday, 44 years ago in 1977. In many ways, a generation went with him because black consciousness without Beagle would never be the same again. Sure, his legacy lives on. Mamunonzigelelo Beagle has done tremendously well to keep it alive. We thank her for her life. We thank her still for her wisdom and the continued role she plays in the community of Ginsberg just outside Ekonwe in the Eastern Cape. Widow of Bandubiko. 2011, good evening everybody. Songas on my bed here this evening on The Viewpoint. It's the 13th of September 2021 and we have to have a conversation then with Mr. Ngulule Amajosi researcher at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute, that's the SPII. How should we measure poverty in this country? Well, most people care about measuring poverty, specifically policymakers, academics, and many non-profit and non-governmental organizations. And like them all, they agree that the way the government currently determines poverty levels and social security policy does not work according to the institute and that's the SPII the national poverty line figures were of great concern particularly because of COVID-19 and the resultant social relief and distress grant of 350 also being lambasted or at least chastised for not meeting the basic food poverty line in a month now set at something in the region of 630 rands that is per month of course they believe the institute that the setting of poverty lines is a choice about what poor people deserve to have, and it is always a choice made by non-poor experts. Perhaps from just what I've read, I should give you, Mr. Majosi, and welcome to the show. Good evening, sir. An opportunity just to speak at large and openly and in broad terms how we should measure poverty, and specifically the discrepancy between the social relief distress grant and what is the poverty line at 630 and how perhaps we should navigate that tricky space between demand and available resources. Good evening. Good evening, Sonia, and thanks for having me. Good evening to the viewers, um, to the listeners as well. Um, so uh, to start off with, um, let's first clarify what these poverty lines are. So um, the, the food poverty line, okay, so we have three poverty lines in South Africa that are used to determine the number of people um, or uh, that are used as a guide to determine the number of people that are living in poverty in South Africa. Uh, the first line is the food poverty line, which is also called the extreme poverty line, uh, which is the one that is set at 624 um, this year with the update, uh, with the recent update. Now, <clears throat> that poverty line, the food poverty line, is based on a calculation or a determination, rather, of the minimum kilojoules or energy required by a person to be able to survive on a daily basis. So that 624 is based on, the, on, the, on that minimum energy required by a person on a day-to-day -day basis to survive. 
And the second one is the lower uh, bound poverty line, which has now uh, been increased from 840 to 890. And it's based on the food poverty line plus uh, a number of um, non-food items that are seen as basic items that are essential that people may need. So this might include things such as uh, toothpaste, it might include things such as polish. It might include things such as um, clothing and so on. Uh, and then we have the upper bound poverty line, uh, which has been increased from 1,268 to 1,335. Uh, that also now includes now a, a, a much larger uh, number of items, non-food items. So um, the upper bound poverty line is also based on the food poverty line plus now including a number of non-food items that are also essential and now but wider than the lower bound poverty line this mm. now go on to include things such as transport money to move from one area to the next or to look for jobs and so on so now what we are saying as, a, as an institute um, as the studies in poverty and inequality institute is that now there's a mismatch in terms of how the government determines poverty and the social security measures that are there that are put in place to in a way help south africans to uh survive on a daily basis especially now during the times of COVID 19. now as you'll remember uh the various social assistance grants that are there are put in place as a measure to ease the burden of poverty on 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 South Africans, uh, ordinary South Africans at large who are struggling and are, are, are living in pre precarious socioeconomic conditions out there. Now, um, the child support grant, for example, is set at 460. Now, that's only 73% of the food poverty line. So it means we have this measure that says the minimum required energy would cost us 624 rands per month. But then what we are bringing to the table to help South Africans survive is 460. So there's a shortfall there, a very important shortfall there. And that shortfall is what leads now to issues such as uh, child stunting, whereby you find now the cognitive abilities of South African children are being affected on a long run because of things such as uh, malnutrition or, or lack of adequate nutrition. Now, we come now again to the Social Relief of Dist Distress Grant, which uh, is uh, famously known as the COVID grant, which has been introduced to uh, sort of provide assistance to um, the people of working age, so the 18 to 59 years old uh, group of people who are not covered by any social assistance in South Africa officially. So this grant is, is, only, is only an emergency grant at the moment, and it's set at 350. Now, that 350 compared to the extreme uh, poverty line or the food poverty line is only 56% of the food poverty line. So... The discrepancy there is much much bigger and so what you find now we're in a situation in this country whereby 
we have an economy that cannot um, produce the sufficient number of jobs that can um, employ everyone that's coming into the labor market every year. Uh, there are structural issues uh, in terms of our economy that we cannot produce those jobs. And at the same time, we've got no cover for those people who are affected the most by this lack of employment. Now, the 350 years, we appreciate it. Um, it's, it's played its role in terms of uh, providing that survival means for South Africans. But we are saying it's not enough. It's only 56% of the food poverty line. Some interesting thoughts coming through from Mr. Majorzi, who is a researcher at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute, already taking aim at the fact that what South Africa's social relief programs are and social security programs are, are not enough to meet what their studies believe to be the particular thresholds that are important to alleviate extreme poverty to the lower bound poverty line set at 890 and what they refer to as being the ideal figure of 1,335 rand. This they term the upper bound poverty line that should be set at that amount so that people can be able, are supposed to survive with a sense of comfort and be in a position to look for opportunities so that they don't have to be reliant on state interventions by way of social grants. You at home, of course, would have an opportunity to comment immediately after the ad break, and I'm especially minded to call on you because as a taxpayer, you are essentially the one who pays this social relief. And what are your thoughts on that? Is this sustainable? To what extent is it not? And what ways, creative ways even, can the state, together with its stakeholders at large, state and non-state actors, create an environment that enables for a social security system that is better responsive, perhaps, to South Africa's socio-economic conditions on the ground. But also, perhaps, I would be interested, if ever there is a case to be made, on the recipients of the grants themselves. Many a time it has been touted that the dignity that comes with receiving a grant doesn't quite allow the receiver of the grant oneself to make the necessary adjustments and improvement in one's life. So let's have a debate, of course, without getting personal or deviating beyond the actual questions as to how in this country should we measure poverty and to the extent that there's a contribution to be made by society at large, what is that contribution? We are taking your calls on Johannesburg 714, 2006 after the ad break. SMS SAFM now on 41391. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez on SAFM. It's a discussion now and a really detailed discussion now. At some point, it will become for more and more people a reality. Of course, it is not the hope, but on the current trajectory of things, that certainly is the case, given the fact that South Africa's economic growth, although understated initially, still not moving at the pace at which the demand is. I mean, unemployment in this country, the expanded definition is sitting in the region of 44, 45% in this country, a ticking time bomb many have labeled it. So let's have a conversation then about poverty and South Africa's response to poverty. Your thoughts at home are very much welcome. Johannesburg 714, 2006. Mr. Majosi, let's get to the point here. Before COVID, there was no talk of a 350 rand social relief of distress grant. Now that it is there, we are told it is not enough. 
will a social grant ever be enough for its recipient? Well, there might have not been uh, um, any discussions on the SRD grant, but there has been uh, for more than 15 years now discussion um, or for a universal basic income. So um, now with the universal basic income, uh, we are actually pushing uh, as SPY and as part of uh, civil society, we've been pushing for government to introduce a universal basic income at the upper bound um, uh, poverty level. Um, in order to provide South Africans uh, with that basic security to be able to afford the basic items that they need on a month-to-month -month basis. Now, <clears throat> beyond that, we've also been uh, calling for the adoption of a decent standard of living measure. Now, with a decent standard of living measure, um, what we are saying that a decent standard of living measure would be a more human-centric approach to measure poverty levels. Um, and we've developed this tool um, alongside our partners, the Labor Research Service and the South African Social Policy Research uh, Institute. Now, with the methodology that uh, the DSL uses is that it, focus, it focuses on 21 socially perceived necessities, what we call SPNs, uh, that are cru crucial for people to attain a socially determined and acceptable standard of living to enable them um, to participate fully in society. Now, what the 21 socially perceived necessities are, basically, is... Um, a collection of not just food and non-food items, but also um, uh, other things related to social networks and and uh, features of um, the neighborhood where people live in, that people have determined themselves through this research to say that with these 21 things, one would be able to live a, 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 a decent life even in South Africa. Even on that Africa. point, let me engage even on that point. One would assume then if it is as detailed as particular neighborhoods from which the people come, that figure, let's work with the 1,335 being the upper bound poverty line. In certain spaces, it is nowhere near enough. In other spaces, because South Africa is many countries in one very rural, very upper-class society, that 1,335, depending where you are, could be very sufficient, very sufficient in the sense that it would be able to meet those basic needs and go actually a bit further than typically what they otherwise would be designated for, vis-a-vis -vis somebody who's operating from Johannesburg. 1335 is a very little by just about every indicator. So how do we navigate that space, the questions within the question, as it were? Well, what we have to remember is that with the universal basic income or, or basic income grant, um, it, 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 it's a it's a it's a it's a monthly it's it's a monthly payment which is made to individuals within society. So it's it, it wouldn't be a one thousand three hundred and thirty five that is made to a household. It would be made to every individual within the society. So people would be able to uh, or households would be able to pull that money together in order to cover those expenses. Uh, that uh, that are necessary for them to Hasn't survive. Has that been the critique of the social grant system and how people are employing it almost 
trying to ensure that the pooling of those resources coming from the social relief programs for the purposes of getting more money. But the reality is the more heads there are, the more expenses. And I'm not entirely convinced, certainly, if that is the way to do things. In other words, on my own, I'm worth thirteen thirty-five. Okay, then I get myself somebody else who's on a similar program as I, and then we simply double that to just under 3,000 rand. But still, 3,000 rand between two people will never be enough. But hasn't that been part of what has been critique in, in, in that, particularly in the rural setup, that people will have children as a way of securing that child support grant? Well, I mean... Of course, the 1,335, we're not, um, no one is saying that it could solve all all of the problems. But what we are saying is that it would be able to provide that basic security for people to be able to cover most of their um, basic necessities. Currently, as I I was saying earlier, uh, currently you have the child grant set at 460, which is only 74% of um, the food poverty line. And then you have the current um, SRD grant, which is a temporary grant, which is only at 56% of, of um, Accepted, yes. uh, the food poverty line. So now people are, are, are at a back foot currently as we stand. But now if we give all the individuals in society a basic income of 1,335, then we, we allow them that space to be able to afford all of the basic necessities that they need. But now we also need to remember that people don't only use this money um, to to buy basic necessities. We've seen it with the SRD grant as well, that people use the money in order to generate more income for themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, with the SRD grant, we've seen uh, many women uh, within the townships using that money to to start uh, start small businesses, selling fed cakes and so on. And, and all those small initiatives go a very long way in terms of uh, um, securing or providing people with that basic security and then also uh, providing them with the means I'm not to disputing the value that the money is to its recipient. I'm just thinking as to is money always going to be the tonic to a social phenomena as we have? Let me ask this question now, give you some time to think about with the hope that one or two callers coming through now will be able to come online. If not, then you can respond almost immediately. Why is it, generally speaking, and I speak from an uninformed position, from a layman's perspective, that whenever there's talk of social security, which is a constitutional prerogative, yes, Section 27, why is that always meant or translates always to money? Social security is just that. It's not per se money. It could be coupons. It could be access where money, for instance, is required. It could be a rebate to certain spaces where people need to get for the collective development of society and for the individual at large. Why are there no creative ways in this country that have been employed? I'm talking about the Department of Social Development together with other spaces in the public sector for the purposes of meeting the social challenges. Money, we know, is not enough. We know that once you have a particular value, that value will always increase, as would its number. Surely we are a society that can think of creative ways to come up with rebate systems or coupon-based systems which would act as social security but not necessarily money in the form 
of social security. Your thoughts? My Josie? Okay. Oh, oh. Um, so, um, I mean, th those creative ways uh, that you are talking about are nothing new. Those are things that have already been tried. You know, we, we've, um, I mean, across the world, uh, many countries have had uh, food distribution systems whereby they try and distribute food to um, uh, poor communities and, and uh, communities at large. But what you find is that most of the time, these systems are very corruptible. And uh, we've been doing research now um, at SPY, looking at uh, uh, global basic income pilot experiments uh, that have been tried um, in different countries, both developed countries and developing countries. And what we find is that <clears throat> with, for example, uh, food distribution programs run by government, is that there's a lot of corruption in that. And an, an, another fact is that the poverty of people is is associated with income poverty. So what research shows is that if with cash distribution, giving people money for themselves to be able to go and buy those things that they themselves has, have determined to be the most important things for, for them to be able to, to survive works better than uh, a government trying to distribute coupons or trying to distribute um, uh, food at, 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 at certain uh, central spaces and so on. Because every time those systems are very corruptible. And we've seen it also uh, within our own townships, whereby you find the corruption of what councillors who have been accused on a number of occasions for taking that food that is meant for the people and taking it for themselves and selling it uh, uh, and, and taking that the proceeds from that for themselves. So it's much better to give people, um, in fact, to believe that people know in the first place what is good for them and to trust that people can spend this money to their <laughs> own good. Uh, and, 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 basically to get rid of this paternalistic approach of thinking that poor people do not know what's good for Absolutely. them and they cannot Absolutely. use the money uh, in a way that will benefit them. No, you're so, right. You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, of, of ways in which perhaps we can go further than currently what we are doing. Because when you talk about corrupt systems, Sasa itself is a mess. It has been a mess for quite a while now. I mean, Batamila Lameni was probably just the symbol of what Sasa has become. I mean, there are many officials at Sasa who have had to pay the price with their property, sometimes with their freedoms while going to jail, precisely because the system as it's currently employed is still fallible to the human condition. Be that as it is, let's go on air and go to our listeners. Mike, welcome back. Mike in Newlands. We're going to Johannesburg with Simpiwe on the line. Jay in Durban after that. And staying in KwaZulu-Natal, anonymous, a regular caller of ours. Mike, you're up. Yeah, I think so. Good evening to your guest. I, I'd like to just quickly say, first things, we're not bemoaning the fact that we actually have it at all. Um, it's, it's a sadness that we even have to discuss this because it's a failure of our government to actually provide uh, economic opportunities for our country. And the one thing that I think we're missing in our conversation is acknowledging the fact that it is open to abuse in as much as now people have become dependent on, this, on the country to, to give them money. We have an election coming up soon, and mm -hmm. every election, our government trots out the usual thing. If you don't support us, you're not going to get your grant. So already, 
already we're on a hiding to nowhere. The second thing we're not acknowledging is the fact that our economy is not growing. So to talk about people making and starting a business and selling set cooks and stuff, you know, with the greatest respect, if, if you've got an economy that is stagnating, no, no, not it's stagnating, it's going backwards. I'm afraid you need an economy that is going to sell more set cooks. You're not going to make any business that way. We're never going to grow that way. We have to acknowledge the fact that this is never can be funded indefinitely. We don't have the money. This 350 rand, what an insult that is to, to South Africans and how they allow themselves to be insulted by this government at 350 rand when their taxi fare sometimes to collect it is 50 rand is absolutely beyond me. But I think our, your guest must acknowledge the fact that we need to move above this. We have to acknowledge the fact that this is not a creative, uh, constructive conversation because we're just talking in a big circle. We need to acknowledge the fact that if we do not get out of the spiral and start growing this economy and creating jobs, never mind this land distribution, rubbish, absolute nonsense, we need jobs, jobs, jobs. And talking about how the money is spent, two people get together, together, really we're going absolutely nowhere. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. A quick question, please. You, you say we sure. the, this conversation is not worth having. What did you mean by that? Or it's simply in the fact that we're talking in circles. We'll have this conversation at the same time next year when the, the government will now give you 450 rand, but inflation would have gone up, petrol would have gone up, and we will have even more unemployed people. We've got three out of four youth in our country currently unemployed. I'm with you. So, <laughs> I, th- so no, I just wanted to understand. Sorry, sorry, Mike. I just wanted to understand. You're not necessarily saying that the conversation is a useless one to have. Rather, the priority should be in attending to the economy of South Africa so as to make less relevant, if you will, the need for a conversation of this kind. Very well. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Let's go to our first-time caller. Let's give him a round of applause, please, Brafinius. We have in Johannesburg, Simpiwe. Simpiwe, welcome to SAFM Viewpoint. Uh, How are you, buddy? Well, sir, thank you very much for asking. Go for it. Your contribution, please. Yeah, I'm very happy, my brother, that we have this conversation today because Asia has got a problem, my brother, about this 350. I'm unemployed for almost five years now. I was, uh, I resigned to a security company because it was a rated company. So when I went to labor, they told me I'm, I'm, go- I'm not going to get anything. So I've applied for that uh, 350, but I didn't get it. I've been going in and out of Sasa uh, and post office. They're telling me I'm not in the system. So I've applied even now. I'm not getting this man. I don't know. I'm struggling. So I just need to help man. Somebody can help me. How, how, can, how can I get this man? What I do propose is to hold on to your details. I don't know if Mr. Majosi is going to be in a position to assist us because clearly between the two of us, he's in a better position. I've asked the producer to hold on to your details. Um, please, Simpiwe, and in time, hopefully we can have an off-air conversation in that regard, of course. Who is my next caller, please, Lesejo? Let's go on air. Who is it? Hello, Aisha. Anonymous, who is it? Anonymous, good evening. Good evening to you, uh, Sangezo, and your guests there. And uh, I admire your output and your guests' input. And I have the questions you ask and the answers, his relevant answers that he's given you. And I have to say that you and your guests are 100% correct in what's going on. And let me give you my input. My input is this. Um, 
that, you know, uh, I, last, last month I received my social pension and I had to pay 1,000, the inflated light uh, in July, I had to pay 1,143 runs on uh, all the charges. What am I left with for the, for the whole month? 600 runs. For the entire six to 700 runs, the entire, de- and without the telephone. With telephone, now you must know they give us a concession. So uh, they don't give us a concession on, on, on the calls, on the units. Because the, and they charge you according to duration, how, how far you uh, if you speak in Johannesburg or Durban, there's different durations. If you go to Isipingo, even if it's local and it's uh, past Durban, Isipingo, you got to pay a little bit more because they're not going according to units that it used to be. It's going according to duration. So now it's making it more difficult. They are making it more difficult for the Sasa pensioners. I'm referring only to Sasa pensioners because they are the ones that earn very little. So I think the government, they don't want to give us the additional on our income, on the income, on the money. So rather they give us, a, 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 we don't pay for lights, water, rates, anything. So we'll, we, can make, we can make ends meet to that money. But now we can't make ends meet to that money because every time they only gave us 32 rands, which is two loaves of bread. I eat bread 16 rands or 18 rands a loaf because I eat the health bread, not the five rand bread they sell in the, the oil bread. Now, uh, now it's going to cost, the 32 runs is only going for one week. What about all the other items? What about the 32 runs of the next three weeks? Yeah, so you these are real conversations. Yeah, these are real conversations of poverty. One doesn't certainly take lightly the plight. Our fellow countrymen and women are experiencing. Majosi, make notes of these. Perhaps you might want to respond. Jay in Durban, your thoughts, please. Uh, good evening, and good evening to our guests. You, you know, okay, oh, the years people have been working and paying the tax, by now the social grant should have reached about 3,000 to 3,500 for social pensioners and old age and disability. I can't see how this money is going to pay off any of the debts incurred or during all the years you know, electricity bill and so forth. That is one point. The other point I want to bring forth is the 350 grant is nothing. It works out to like 10 rand a day. If I have to travel from my place to the center to buy a loaf of bread, which costs about 15 rand, I have to pay 32 rand return to buy a loaf of bread. Why doesn't they work out a plan for vouchers for bread, even if it's a spaza shop? The sponsorship shop or uh, nearest uh, uh, centre get that kickback from the government. So with the results, we know that a loaf of bread is going to take us a long way in travelling all the way to the sea. And, and at the 350 rand grant, why don't they initiate a kind of a skills development every month, at least twice a week, get the... Um, People to employ these unemployed people to getting you know some kinds of skills, and at the end of the day, you know they are not getting the money for nothing, like an handout, and they know they are earning it in a very honest way. Don't keep on saying and the politicians saying keep previously disadvantaged, previously now they're totally disadvantaged with the way the politicians are carrying on. Ask the politicians to live on 1,890 rand a month and see how far 
they can't even go any further than the from the front door to the gate. To Absolutely, the road. you're right. No, you're right. You're echoing the sentiments raised by our fellow mother in KZN Anonymous there. And I absolutely cannot say anything in disagreement with you. At some point, something has to give. And one of the things that has to give the money, I mean, we, we can talk about these things correctly and appropriately so, but something has to be funded from somewhere. And I'm really interested in where this money is going to come from. Final comment then from our caller in Uppington, after which we're going to get the reply from Mr. Majose, after which we will then close the segment. I see the lines are flashing. That's why I said call earlier, please. Aisha, good evening. Good evening, Sean mm. An emotive topic again, eh? Um, it is. I agree with your guest, 500%. Oh, it is music to my ears. And um, I think it's time for them, since they do not want to leave their neoliberal policies, to institute the basic universal income grant. If they don't want to do that, what they saw in KwaZulu-Natal will be nothing shortly, really. That's all that I want. Oh, and one last thing. Mm. Uh, Okay, now I can't say that on it. Thank you. Okay, very well. We'll leave it there indeed. Um, Mr. Majosi, Mike in Newland saying, sort the economy out. A lot of these discussions will just follow as a matter of course. He's in a way talking to the point that the money has to come from somewhere. Despite this conversation, it has to be predicated on something. Thing being a good, solid, progressive and growing economy that can then perhaps fund this. And there will be less need, of course, for social interventions in the first place. But, of course, that is also a reality that has been measured against the lived experiences of some of the calls that have come through on air. How do we move as a society from this clear impasse? Um, I think, Songhezo, um, to start off with, um, we need to, people need to get over this myth um, that uh, big businesses, for example, uh, in the uh, are still in the in the business of creating employment. Um, I heard Mike uh, speaking to the fact that we need to fix the economy. Yes, we need to fix the economy, but now we need to ask the right questions. What is wrong with our economy? Why is it not producing the number or the enough jobs that we need? And where are those jobs going to come from? Since he's saying that we need to be um, focusing on uh, on job creation. Now, if you look at uh, the economies that are successful in the world, it's not big businesses that are the, that are responsible for creating employment. It's actually SMEs, small and medium enterprises, are the ones that uh, that are creating jobs for those countries. Now, uh, these are small community uh, uh, businesses that are creating this employment, not big corporations. Big corporations are no longer in the business of create of creating uh, uh, jobs. They're in the business of profit, you know. And we need to also acknowledge the history of our country and how we have found ourselves with this kind of economy that cannot create jobs for most of its people. And, and, and one of the major things for that coming also from our history is the lack of skills. Now we live within a, a global economy where it's in it's we're within the fourth industrial revolution and it's all driven by skills, uh, technical skills. It's, it's driven by information, but unfortunately, for most of our citizens, they were denied historically. Now we are playing a game of catch up. So. 
Now, before we can now dismiss initiatives that are on the table to try and get us to a progressive uh, place, we need to also uh, acknowledge that, that history. But then secondly, in terms of now the basic uh, income grant, uh, we also need to realize that the basic income grant would, it wouldn't be just an income grant. It, it, it's, it's also uh, an economic st stimulus because what you do by giving people uh, money is that you increase the spending power of the population. And that, in, 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 in essence, creates now multiplier effects in, in the sense that when more people have money in their hands, the more uh, economic activity is generated, the more the government can collect taxes. And so you have an, a multiplier effect in terms of this money that, uh, that you're giving out to, to the population uh, on a monthly basis. So Final the... the so then the BIG is also now now an economic stimulus, not just a grant, but also an economic stimulus. Mm, interesting. I, I would have loved to have engaged the question of the reference to apartheid. I, I, I think South Africans need to, at some point, maybe not in this conversation, at some point, and I would even posit at some point very soon, we, we, we need to have an honest assessment of the last 27 years and whether there is still as much merit now as perhaps might have been before to continue talking about historically disadvantaged individuals, to speak about apartheid and the curse it has been on the majority African population against the last 27 years. I, I, I think I, I don't disagree with you because, I mean, it's going to be unfair for me to have my point without you having the right of reply. In as much as I would have loved to have heard your thoughts on, I'm just going to ask the question and say no more, if there is a corresponding obligation on the recipient of the Social Security, however it would come through, to in a way transact with the state, to reinvest with the state. Yes, the grant is a due, it's a right, but surely there could be more, even the sense of entrenching a dignity onto the individual, if that individual in a way, quote unquote, earns it or does something as a return, as a transaction to the state, so that that ownership of the grant can really yield the type of development ultimately that should happen in a developmental state that South Africa is. But for your thoughts and everything else that you have invoked as comments from the listeners, Mr. Majoza, I can only thank you so much for your time, researcher at the Studies in Poverty and Inequality Institute. How do we measure poverty? Well, that was a discussion of the many discussions within the topic. 2050.